Uh, if y'all would, would you turn with me to, uh, to John 6? Uh, again, this morning, uh, the 6th chapter of John for the scripture reading. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll be in verses 35 down to 51 in John 6. Would you stand? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all who have given, he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we do thank you, Lord, for your word, for opening our understanding, Lord, that we may know you, Lord, that we may draw close to you, that we may, just as Jesus has spoken here, that we may come and by your grace, power, be kept to the last day. We're saved by grace and we're kept by grace and for Your honor and glory. Father, again, I pray, um, please help us with the passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. Give us understanding again so that we may have a better grasp of who You are, of who we are, of what You've done on our behalf. So, Lord, that we may stand in awe of You truly worship You in spirit and in truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, if you were here last week, you know that we, uh, <clears throat> we dealt with these verses. And, and, and in fact, this morning, um, I'm going to primarily focus in on uh, uh, just a couple of verses here, but I wanted Zach to read all of that so we'd have that fresh on our mind so that we know what Jesus is talking about here. 
Um, but we dealt with this last week, but we went through, we, did, we just kind of did a, a, a broad view of, of this chapter, and, and so I, I wanted to zero in on, on something in particular this morning uh, before we move on to chapter 7. And uh, it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And uh, if you're not a mother, um, spend time with your mother today, if at all possible, um, or call her, whatever you got to do. Some of us... Uh, don't have that um, privilege any longer, and uh, it's a, it's a blessing to, to have them with you, right? Or, or at least close enough where you are, you know where you talk to them on the phone or something like that. But do that today. We're not, as David mentioned earlier, we're not going to have the classes this evening, um, just as a extra encouragement to uh, <laughs> spend time with your mother. Uh, and also, I've got to go out to the prison today. Um, so I've covered your prayers, and, and uh, I'm, one reason I mention that is if uh, if if I happen to let you go a little early today, don't hold it against me, okay? And uh, and if I don't, don't hold it against me, okay? <laughs> don't don't hold me to that, just in case. <coughs> so, uh, but seriously, if I if I if I leave pretty quick, that's why. It's not because I'm trying to avoid you or anything like that. So, Lord willing, we'll be back here at 6 p.m. tonight, but no classes at 5 o'clock. Okay, so again, I wanted to come back to this this morning and, and really zero in on verse, mainly verse 63. I'm going to read you that, that little uh, paragraph there, 60 through 63. Um, and like I said, I wanted you to have a, much of the discourse on your mind as we do that, uh, which is what Zach just read, so we, we can pick up in context. Um. So let me, let me do that, um, verses 60 through 63, and then we'll, we'll talk about that in light of, uh, of the rest of the chapter. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. Amen. Um, a couple of things here. Now, we're, we're just, again, coming off of this is at the end of this discourse that uh, Zach just read a big portion of. Um, John tells us in verse 59 that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And now, following that, some of the disciples are murmuring, and, and that is mentioned, by the way, about three times at least in this chapter. Uh, not, not coincidentally. Uh, it, it may um, remind you of the murmuring of the children of Israel in the wilderness at the very time before and after, uh, God rained manna from heaven. And now you, you see that same thing here. That's the true manna given by God. Jesus uh, stands before them face to face. And they're doing the same thing their forefathers did. Grumbling, murmuring, um, unhappy with uh, things being the way they are, frankly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, so, this discourse, we have one of the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the bread. 
And he says it several different ways. I'm the, the living bread, for example. I'm the bread of God or the bread from heaven. But in each case, saying essentially the same thing. I am the bread. And, and they have asked that he do a sign like, um, in their mind, like Moses did. God, in the day of, day of Moses, God gave bread from heaven. And, and the Jews mentioned that here. And they're asking Jesus, what sign do you do? And Jesus says in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And then he goes on to say, and of course he's insinuating this in even that verse, that he's the true bread, and he goes on to say that explicitly. I am the bread. First in verse 35. I am the bread of life. So he, he um, is the fulfillment of what the manna foreshadowed or was a type of. Now, I mentioned last week that oftentimes this discourse is, is, is interpreted in such a way um, as to take Jesus as referring to the Lord's Supper. I want to mention this again briefly because I think it will help with the point that I'm going to try to make this morning. But there have been many who, who, who do, have and do, try to interpret it in that way and say what Jesus is really talking about here is the Lord's Supper. So when He goes on to say, you must eat My flesh and drink My blood, it's a reference to what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, I mentioned briefly last week, and I just want to reiterate again here, what I think is actually the case is that the Lord's Supper, that is the bread and the wine or the juice and the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper actually pictures or symbolizes what Jesus is saying here instead of the other way around. He's not thinking ahead about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the reality that the Lord's Supper, even though it comes later, He's talking about the reality that the Lord's Supper pictures. Now there's a sense in which it was pictured by, in the Old Covenant by the manna. God rained manna from heaven. What was that a picture of? It was a picture of the true bread, the bread of life, the bread of God, the bread from heaven. Christ, Jesus Himself, coming down from heaven, giving life to the world. So that was pictured in the manna. In the Old, it's pictured in many, many ways, but the manna is one way. That was pictured in the Old Covenant. It's, it's pictured today every time we observe the Lord's Supper. We, there we have a, a showing of the Lord's death until He comes. So um, our partaking of the Lord's Supper is just a picture or a type representing our partaking of the Lord Himself, participating in His life. Participating in His death in the sense that um, He died for our sins. He removed our sins at Calvary. And we benefit from His righteousness and from His, uh, his uh, substitutionary atonement in our behalf at Calvary. So the real issue here, and that's what Jesus is talking about when He makes a statement, I am the bread. The, the real issue is that He is the life giving, life-sustaining substance. He and He alone. Moses, uh, or God, rather, gave bread through uh, Moses, so to speak, in the Old Testament. 
But Jesus points out here that your fathers, he says to the Jews, your fathers, meaning your, your forefathers, they ate that bread and they died. So while it had a temporal effect in the sense of sustaining, sustain them from day to day, ultimately they still died. So it did not give eternal life. And they did have to eat it every day. It wasn't like they could partake one time, have life, and live forever. So it's not the substance. It's just a picture of a greater reality, the substance which would come later. So keep that in mind. All right? That's, that's this whole this discourse, I'm the bread. Um, Jesus is saying He is the true substance. He's the fulfillment of these types, even the New Testament type of the Lord's Supper. It just uh, looks back, so to speak. Now, of course, the first time it was observed, it looked forward, didn't it, when Jesus instituted it. But now it, we look back at the, at the death of Christ and it, and it pictures His, um, His sacrifice for us. Okay, another thing I want to point out here before we get into verse 63, because we'll be dealing with this. There's a continuing contrast in the Gospel of John uh, and elsewhere in the New Testament uh, or elsewhere in the Scripture also. Uh, but John really brings this out. And it's this contrast between flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. Now, the way that I think we, we need to think here, a lot of times when, when we hear that term flesh, uh, as Christians anyway, when we hear that, if you've, if you've been a student of the Bible for any length of time, uh, a lot of times you hear that word flesh, and immediately what comes to mind is sinfulness. The sin nature, the old, the old sin nature, like um, Paul talks about in Romans 7, for example. But that's not necessarily the case here. In other words, the contrast that Jesus is making, that John is giving us between flesh and spirit, has more to do with just the natural versus the spiritual. So when you hear the term flesh, don't automatically think sin. Just think natural temporal, you know, temporary, or you could say it this way, earthly versus heavenly. Natural versus spiritual. So we, this is one of the ongoing contrasts that we have in the, in the book of John. There, there are others that John uses to bring out different truths, but um, this is going to be one that we, uh, we continue to see. So I have seen already and see it now and, and continue to see. Flesh versus spirit. Let me give you a couple of references on that before we again before we get into verse sixty three. In um, chapter three, remember the discussion with Nicodemus? And you look at verse six. Um, well let me just start reading in verse five. Chapter three, verse five. Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now there he's not talking about sinfulness. He's just talking about, again, um, what is born naturally is, is, na- is natural itself. What the, the flesh produces flesh. Spirit generates spirit. Nicodemus has just raised the question when Jesus talks about the new birth. When Jesus mentions the new birth in, birth in verse 3, saying, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus raises the question, how can a man be born when he's old? So he's thinking in natural terms. 
And he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. And so this provokes Jesus' response. What is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Then in verse 12, Jesus says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, that's the same contrast with different wording. Instead of flesh, spirit, earthly, heavenly. Again, it's not, not talking about sinful things. Um, he's just talking about uh, earthly things, temporary things, things that happen in the present. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Flesh, spirit, earthly, heavenly. Um, I'll give you another one. Chapter 4. Jesus' dialogue with a Samaritan woman. Chapter 4. Remember, uh, uh, he comes, he, has, he sits down by the well, asks this woman for a drink. And then, in, ver, in uh, verse 10 of chapter 4, Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living Water. Now the contrast here is between natural water and what Jesus calls living water, something spiritual. In fact, uh, the giving of the Spirit. So he says, if you knew the gift of God, you'd be asking me for a drink. I'd give you living water, not just, not just natural water like comes out of this well, but living water. Well, she doesn't um, quite get it. In fact, let's read on a few verses here. Chapter 4, verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, you may have noticed in that whole exchange, it's apples and oranges. Jesus is talking about one thing, she's talking about another. Jesus is talking about something spiritual, something eternal, something that has its origin in heaven, something that gives uh, eternal life, not just temporary uh, sustenance. But she's, she's all about earthly, natural. She's, how are you going to get this water? You don't even have anything to draw with. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? She's thinking in terms of a natural well. You need a bucket to draw. And even when Jesus says, look, you drink the water I give you, you drink this water, this natural, earthly water, you'll thirst again. But you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Even then, she's still thinking earthly. And she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. She's thinking about something that will quench her physical thirst. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. So, there again, it's the contrast. 
then you think too about the prologue when, when John first introduces his readers to Jesus as the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Establishing right up front the deity of Christ. And then he tells us an, an amazing thing about the eternal Word. The eternally existing Word of God who is God, who was with God and is God. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, He became flesh. Again, notice, we're not talking about sinfulness here. He became flesh. Jesus never sinned. Sin had no place in Him. He knew no sin. But He did become flesh. Something earthly, something natural, something physical. The eternal Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, in his dialogue with the woman at the well again, in chapter 4, in verse 24, he describes God as being spirit. God is spirit, 4.24. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So there's a, there's a distinction there, a contrast, flesh and spirit. And one of the fascinating things, of course, about the person of Jesus Christ is that He's both. Fully God, because God is spirit, He's spirit, He's fully God, and He's fully Man. He became flesh. So he now exists as man and fully man and as fully God. So there's the contrast flesh, spirit, earthly, heavenly, natural, spiritual. Okay? And John is, is, um, is, you know, just keeps bringing that out as we move along. Sometimes explicitly, sometimes in, in, um, uh, in form of, of signs, I think that's one thing pictured in the in the uh, in chapter two. When Jesus turns the the the, the water into wine. You, you've got a, a substance there taking on a new nature. Um, so, picture of the of the new birth. Jesus explicitly talks about the new birth, chapter three. So, there's the contrast. Now we see it play out here again in chapter six with the bread. Why did the people come, remember early on in the chapter, why did the people come looking for Jesus across the lake? Because He had fed them the day before, right? And they're hungry. they got their bellies filled and they want more of that. And Jesus tells them straight up in, in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes or that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You see what He's saying? You're, you're spending your, your energy... on seeking food that goes bad. It, it just has temporary value, temporary um, usefulness. And yet, that's what you're all about. That's your whole mindset. It, it filled the belly. You know, now let's go find them again so that we can get more. And in a different way, they were doing the same thing prior to that. <laughs> well, it was right after He fed the 5,000 when they wanted to take him and make him a king. 
And they weren't thinking heavenly or spiritually at all. It, it, there may be a, a, a slight um, appearance of that. I mean, Jesus does a miracle. He feeds 5,000 men plus women, children with just five loaves and two fish. He's a multitude. And so they're, they're all about Jesus then, right? And let's make Him king. It sounds good, but He knows in reality their, their thinking is all messed up. They're thinking about an earthly kingdom, an earthly king, earthly benefits. Jesus is going to reestablish the nation of Israel. And we're all going to be His subjects. Life is going to be easier. We'll be out from under the Roman oppression. But they're not thinking at all in terms of eternal life. They're not thinking at all in terms of spiritual worship like He spoke about to the woman at the well. God is spirit. And to worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's not what they're doing. What they're, the kind of worship that they're exhibiting here is... is, is Nothing different than you might find from football fans or music fans. Nothing spiritual about it. So Jesus says, don't labor for those things. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Now, there's again contrast flesh spirit the people are thinking fleshly earthly Jesus is speaking spiritual heavenly their mindset is temporal temporary satisfaction you know give me satisfaction now Fulfill my desires. Jesus is talking about true satisfaction. It goes far beyond the belly. Satisfies the soul. And not only now, but forever. Now, verse 63. Let me, let me go back. Verse 62. And, and uh, Jesus has just asked, do you take offense at these things? All, all of the way that He's been talking about being the bread, He Himself claims to be the bread of heaven, and that He says this strange thing to them about, you know, you must eat My flesh. My flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. You must eat My flesh and drink My blood. And they come away from that saying, this is a hard saying or a harsh is the idea there. This is a harsh saying, verse 60. Who can listen to it? Jesus knowing in Himself, verse 61, Jesus knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling. Again, like, the, like their forefathers in the wilderness, they're not satisfied with God's provision. And in this case, it's not a type, it is the reality. Jesus Himself is before them and they're not satisfied with their Messiah. And they're grumbling. He's talking too harsh. He's talking about things that they're not grasping. 
And he says, do you take offense at this? Literally, are you scandalized? That's the idea there. Are you scandalized by this? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? I think maybe what Jesus has in mind there, they, they were just asking for a sign. He's not going to give them a sign, but, but I think He brings this one up. What if, what if you see the Son of Man, talking about Himself, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? I've told you, I'm the bread from heaven, <laughs> given by the Father. Now what if you see me ascending, going back to where I was before? You're scandalized now, how would it be then? Would you be more scandalized or, or would that cause you to believe? Now, Jesus just leaves the question open-ended. But I think probably the answer is this. Those who are already scandalized would be more scandalized. And those who believe would be even more convinced. One reason I say that, and I don't have time to go back through all of it, but we, we, we went through this last Sunday night. Jesus has given us the reason that some believe and some don't. Some believe because they're given to Him by the Father. And all who are given to Him by the Father come to Him and He keeps them all the way through to the last day and raises them up. So, He asks the question and then He says this in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, in just a few minutes remaining, here's, here's the, the point. With the people, it is symbolism over substance. And that's their whole mindset. It's all about the shadows and the types. They're all caught up in Moses and the manna from heaven and the temple and the animal sacrifices. And you go on and on and on. All of the symbolism, that's what life is about for them in terms of religion. And really, insofar as you're just talking about everyday living, it's, it's all about fleshly needs and desires. Make me comfortable. Make me satisfied. That's what they're about. Give me, give me more food. You filled the belly. Do that again. Now, deliver us from Roman rule. I mean, let's, let's have some ease and some comfort. And they're not thinking at all about one day dying, and what then? I mean, let's just suppose that we have nothing but ease and comfort throughout this whole life. And there's probably nobody in this room who's, uh, who's even had it this far, you know, totally. But let's just suppose we had nothing but satisfaction of our, of our natural and, and fleshly desires and comfort and ease, no hassles, you know, no affliction, no persecution, no discomfort. Let's just suppose we went through life that way. And we die. 
what then? They're not thinking that way. It's all the here and the now. And in terms of religion, it's all symbolism. Now listen, I, I was thinking about this earlier. I, I wish everybody was in the habit of going to church. I wish most church-going Christians were in the habit of going to church regularly. And that, you know, the people that don't come, I wish they came. Even the unbelievers, come and hear the Word. You know, come, come to the public services and hear the Word. But, having said that, I know going to church is not an end in itself. In other words, that, that doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't mean you have a relationship with the Lord. Coming to church doesn't mean that you're actually participating in the life of Christ. You may even partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice. That doesn't mean that you're doing what Jesus is talking about in verse 6, eating His flesh and drinking His blood, participating in His life and death, enjoying the benefits of the knowledge of Him, what Paul calls the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Coming to church doesn't do that. Hopefully it will point you in the right direction. <laughs> but it doesn't do it. But watch out, because here's the thing. Like I said, I wish everybody came to church. But I, I, at the same time, I fear this. I fear that there may be some of us that do that find satisfaction in that. Not just coming to church, but in all the religious activity associated with it. Good things. I mean, what Jesus is talking about here is good things. Nothing wrong with eating. He's not, getting, he's not saying you shouldn't even want to eat. You shouldn't even want bread. He's just saying, look, don't put all your energy into that. And he's not talking down Moses. But he says, look, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He's not talking down Moses. They were supposed to revere Moses to an extent, but they were way overvaluing Moses. They were seeing Moses and the law as the substance. You see what I'm saying? It's, the symbolism became the objects of worship. The earthly things became the desire of the people. The earthly things were the things that they were using to sustain them. And Jesus was trying to tell them, look, your fathers partook of those things and died. They don't sustain you forever. But, but the birth that I'm talking about, if you're born of the Spirit, you'll live forever. If you drink the living water, you'll live forever. You'll never thirst again. If you eat the living bread... You'll never hunger again. You'll live forever. It is the Spirit who gives life. There wasn't life in the manna. That was a earthly thing. Yes, even though fell from heaven. It was an earthly thing. It was something they experienced here on earth. 
for a specific purpose here on earth, for a specific time. There was no life in it. There was no life in Moses except what, you know, God gave Moses life, but Moses didn't have life to impart. The law didn't have life to impart. The animal sacrifices could not cleanse sin and give life. The temple, all of these things that they made use of, and again, to some extent, rightly so, but those things in themselves did not have life and could not give life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. <laughs> what a statement that is. And again, he's not talking about sin. He's not talking about sinful desire. He's just talking about earthly things. Even in terms of religion. That's not where the life is. You go to church, good. But that won't, keep you, that won't give you eternal life. Do you read the Bible? Excellent. I read the Bible before I was saved. You believe there's one God? Well, James says, if that's the case, that's good, you do well, but even demons believe in truth. You put away the bad habits? Okay, great. It's probably going to help in terms of your physical existence, but it's not going to give you eternal life. There's only one source of eternal life. It is the Spirit who gives life. He's trying to tell them, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Don't, don't labor. Don't put all of your energy and effort, time, money, whatever it is, don't put all your resources into pursuing things that are just going to waste away and perish. while you do the same. Labor for the food that will sustain you forever. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. I wonder there if he didn't have all the previous conversations, probably those and a whole lot more, but the previous conversations we just mentioned, you know, with Nicodemus, for example, um, the woman at the well. He's saying, this is what I've been talking about all along. My words are spirit and life. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about eternal life. And I'm not just talking about it. I think what he's saying here is the fact that the way he's phrases the way he does. He doesn't just say, my words are about spirit and life. He says they are. They are. You see what he's saying? If you hear, if you grasp, if you perceive, or to say the same thing another way, if you believe, if you believe on Him. When he says you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's what he's talking about. Believing on Him. Obeying Him. Taking His words seriously. 
and following what He says. My words are spirit and life. Flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit who gives life. The Word of Christ. The Word of Christ. Hear Him. Hear Him. Would you stand, please?